Welcome to episode 14-7 of the Tech Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Robert Desert Eagle. Alan with me is one half of the creative team of Twatter. I'm talking about Sai. Kirichua. Ogenkitiska. Tell me about the Twatter. Twatter. Uh, <laughs> Twatter, it's a game that uh, the Purple Wizard and I decided to create in order to participate in the Team Up Jam for 2015. We uh, participated a few weeks ago, uh, supporting game dev life efforts and Team Up as well. They're trying to, you know, support the whole solution six months hashtag and creating good stuff back into the industry. Where yeah. could I find it if I want to play it? Did you play it? You better have played it. I did play it once. I got to the LOL level. Not enough lollies. <laughs> yes, yeah, needs more lollies. <laughs> That's the review. Um, if you want to find the game, uh, it's available on itch.io. Uh, we started out with five uh, levels, but uh, we finally got to finish all ten levels, and I need to update that. Thank you for reminding me. But itchy, it will be itchy available. Itchy games. I, I am familiar with some of those. The itchy games? <laughs> yes. The You're itchy trolling games. me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> those, those erotic games. Oh, my God. No, no, not that kind. You will be no? disappointed if that's the truth. They are, <laughs> they are sort of oriented into this uh, breakout Arkanoid kind of style. I like those too, especially with pew pew lasers. <laughs> All of the pew pew lasers. All the pew pew lasers are in there. Yes. Awesome. So let's get to talking. I wanted to talk no, a little wait, bit before we wait. wait hold on, before oh. we get on with the show, there down. are. Yes, there are important things that we need to discuss. Yes. Um, we need to start the show with the relevant tweets of the week. And you know where I'm going. The boss here got bragging rights by tweeting, I think it was last Monday or something, that he actually avoided being pooped on by a bird. Well, congratulations, sir. And your mad ninja skills. I Can I tell you the story? Of course. That's About a year ago. <laughs> one year ago. First day, first day at work. I am walking. I am not 20 steps out of the house, and a bird just takes a big crap on my brand new, freshly laundered shirt. <laughs> I make a mental note. I'm not going to fall for that same trick twice. So, one year later, I'm walking. It, it's really early, like one 7 a.m. One year later. You've been holding that into your heart for one yes. year. Yes. No, no, no. you got to learn from your mistakes. So, <laughs> it's about 7 a.m. I'm half asleep, and I see a nice-looking blackbird on the very top of the telephone line and i see his tail kind of flutter just go up a little bit like you were looking at a burst butt yes i was (laughs) (laughs) but you can learn a lot from animals by watching these things much like when you throw a fishing line into the (laughs) into the water and it kind of bobs (laughs) the little tail did that and that usually signifies poop so i kind of waited a second (laughs) didn't didn't really see anything coming down but i thought wow i'm in the line of fire I had to take two steps back and splat the largest pile of bird fire. poop I had ever seen. Yes, I was in the line of fire from angry birds. Real, Real life, life angry birds. birds. Yes. Wow, that's that a, was better than the tweet. That's gold medal. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, yes. I, there are no I pigs around. Jealous of your agility skills, dude. Yes, so. Yeah. So keep an eye out. So next week I will probably be absent from the show because I'm always have my eye up in the skies and I'll probably trip on the sidewalk and break my neck. So next week's podcast, yes, will be mumbles. Same as this week's podcast actually. Speaking of mumbling, mumbling is a form of discourse. That's right. We've yes. got really good games to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to kick things off. A game that forces players to make some really tough decisions. Throughout gaming... Throughout my gaming history, uh, one of the things I always like is when you're presented with different decisions that you have to make. Uh, remember as a kid thinking, should I grab that power pellet and chase after those those pesky colored ghosts, or should I eat as many dots as possible and uh, to ensure my survival to the next round? Of course, I'm talking about... Pac-Man? Yes, Pac-Man. Puck-Man. <laughs> you, were, you were assuming I'm kidding, I'm I was kidding. not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, that was a check right there. But one of the things about Pac-Man, early games, they did not tell a story, right? Pac-Man didn't really have much of a story until uh, there was that t-shirt, Madness of Mission 6, that uh, retconned one in an effort to tell, to sell t-shirts here. Now, Alchemy Labs, O-W-L, and they have an owl as part of their icon. Yes, Alchemy, not Alchemy, 
uh, the Atelier variety. Uh, they are the creators <laughs> of Snuggle Smuggle Truck. Do you ever play those games? I saw that one. I saw that one. It looked really cool. Those are those are pretty fun. Those cool. are pretty fun. Never got around to play it. Yes. You're smuggling little teddy bears. Teddy um, bears, yeah. Yes, across or or illegals. Um, you're being a coyote <laughs> uh, across there. And then there's another game that I really liked that uh, Alchemy made called Jack Lumber. Um, it was a variation on Fruit Ninja, except this one you have to split wood and you have to go in different directions. And it's much more intricate. Um, and it's available on mobile and on Steam as well. On everything. On everything. I played it, and it's... It's a really fun game. Uh, anyway, they're, they're the creators of that, and they seem determined to kind of bridge that gap between telling a story, making tough decisions, and they do this in the most nihilistic, uh, choose-your-own-adventure-styled game since Telltale's The Walking Dead. Um, so basically, it's an interactive version of this scenario. It's an old, uh, that, that old post-nuclear survival uh, case study where you have participants and you have to decide who lives and who dies because there's a certain number. There's like 10 remaining humans in a facility, and there's only enough precious resources to accommodate like seven of them. So you have to, you have to tell me who you're going to sacrifice, which is probably your co-host right now. Maybe. So you uh, assume the role of Rita. One thing, one thing that yes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Okay. So, so Rita, she's a barista uh, who wakes up one day to find herself amidst a huge plane crash, kind of like uh, Lost. And naturally, she encounters a really interesting uh, roster of characters that kind of play around with Gilligan's Island ty- uh, stereotypes, tropes there. Uh, much like the Howells, there's this older couple who doesn't get along anymore. Uh, they've kind of grown apart over the years. There's, what? Yes, they have. You keep saying that. No. No, they have. And you never changed. got. You never got to talk to George. I, I sent him on medial errands because you that's what him he's to good get for. <laughs> him and his broken fishing rod, which I think is representative of something else, <laughs> which oh, is probably the cause no, of their marital problems. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. There is a key achievement for you to to, to fix his game with <laughs> to, get, to get his fishing rod working again. <laughs> <laughs> to to get George and Julene together, I think it will be. I, um, it's an achievement for you to to keep the marriage intact and actually get to be rescued with them. I guess they were they were better. Which off. is difficult because yeah. usually you know with the choices you make, it's mm-hmm. it's not who you want it to be. It's, yes. it's who actually happens to get through it. Yes. And speaking of the other characters, let's talk about those. Um, so there's a scientist. He's a schizophrenic. Uh, he believes everything is kind of what? Bugged. He's schizophrenic. Where the hell did you get? Where are you getting all this information? <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty obvious. He says what? different. He kind of contradicts himself himself a few times. Well, he's a little bit of a conspiracy nut. I yes, that, but he's, he's like the total post Snowden yeah, kind of ready. crazy. He he believes. He believes that the pretzels, bag of pretzels, are are bugged and they're tracking him. Now, if they were tracking him, they find him on the island. <laughs> if that's if not, that's not a schizophrenic. He's hilarious. He's actually one of my favorites because he's just so freaking funny. Even when he's mumbling, because he's like, yes. Well, they all mumble. They all mumble. Yes. They no, all, but Teddy's funnier for some reason because it sounds okay. like he's in like an angry mumbling there or something. Well, the the other mumbler, I think, the other interesting <laughs> mumbler is the jaded businessman. Who seems uh, called Steve. from office space? Yes, and then and then. Oh yeah, that was a really cool reference. Did you see that he's carrying a um, stapler? Stapler. stapler. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have his TPS reports in hand. Uh, and then the Dangerous. court gesture is uh, is Garrett. He is a gamer whose point of reference for damn near everything is interactive entertainment. And uh, that's all. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's my favorite one to let die. <laughs> Oh, don't be that way. He's well, called I expendable. Been talking much. I, I actually got the achievement for blowing him up. For blo- okay, see, I just um, he well. Can, can I say what happened? They die. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they die. So yeah, he encountered leeches That's actually what you're and supposed a snake, to be and he was all fucked up, and I just let him die <laughs> <laughs> because hey, I'm on an island. I don't have medicine. Like Garrett, there's actually, no, okay. Anything. I don't know if this is part of the game, but he is probably. Can I say the meatiest of the bunch? And therefore, I thought if this goes really dark into cannibalism, he, we're gonna have the all-you-can-eat buffet with Garrett. Oh, jeez, you are. <laughs> 
So you're on fire today. <laughs> wow. Okay. So so let me talk a little. We we talked about the characters, and I think they're they do uh, a, a couple of really interesting things. One, the characters are developed. They don't use you know exposition. You learn everything through their conversation. Yeah, but, but you get to learn according to what you choose because right, there's specific right. there's specific storylines that you actually get next to no time to interact with some of them and actually some that you do get to keep them alive and you're, uh, right. you know, you're uh, able to, to, to have conversations with them outside like the normal routine and that's exactly how you get to find out about them and all and that. And yeah, at the end of the day, sometimes you get to talk to two and I didn't really spend too much mm-hmm. time speaking to poor Garrett I can tell you didn't talk to anybody. I, no, to I did. I ta- <laughs> went to bed. You Screw everybody, I'm going to bed. <laughs> that's too much like real life. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for this shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking to anybody. Fuck it. I'm going to bed. <laughs> See you tomorrow. I got work to do. Um, <laughs> no, no. What is interesting? Just though, like real life. Be, yes, just like real life. <laughs> Art imitates life. No, no. Here's here's the thing. People, and this is a very, very, very minor spoiler. People are going to die. Okay? Some people <laughs> are going to have to be sacrificed because the, the game pigeonholes okay so there's a raft but that only carries it's like a sacrifice i do think it's a it's it's you well, know it makes you choose you choose it's just what happens i mean there are accidents well there's accidents but you know there's only enough food or the raft yes. the raft yeah, but there, only there are things that you just can't control like when the animal attacks and stuff like that right yeah those damn animals the, the jaguars <laughs> uh, on there but but okay so so here's what i'm getting at things shit happens it goes down it's it's not a happy go lucky trip to the beach Okay, people are going to well, die. Well, you're stranded on an island. You're <laughs> right. Playing- <laughs> I don't know right. what your expectations are. <laughs> right. But at the same time, when these people die, you don't feel devastated. It depends, uh, because I did feel are you guilty. With me on that? You felt I, guilty? I did, I did I feel guilty in a few occasions. Like, for example, when Garrett blew up. Well, I, I didn't blow him, him up. Well, it happened. Yeah, <laughs> it was an accident. So my point is that usually this kind of situations that you're stuck in, you have to make choices. Sometimes are even time choices. It's like kind of like a pressure and everything. Right. It's really interesting though because you do uh, right after you get to finish the game, you have some sort of like a day rewind kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, I abuse that tool because I will actually go back and try to rescue some of them, or at least try to make different choices to see if I could actually take them to the end with me. And surprisingly enough, even though that you will want to try to cheat on this like this, mm-hmm. you will even if you carry on a new character and you try to get them through as you think it will, you know, be viable to get them through that way. Things change. Right. Even if you make exactly the same choices, or you assume that you would, the characters uh, interact differently, the scenarios happen differently, and the events happen mm-hmm. differently just because of the choice that you have changed. Yeah. Which is fascinating because it's so, just really weird, really quick. So, so there's two types of choices. You can make leadership decisions. What should we you know, spend time doing as a group? Um, you, you know, and whether you assign people to certain tasks. And then there's resource management, which is yes. kind of food and water as well. And each of those branches and can take the story um, in, in a myriad of different directions, ending in three different, um, very different outcomes uh, on the island. Now, a couple more things that the game uh, does really well. One, I like the way a character can just walk off screen and die off screen. And which is kind of a rarity in media. Uh, we usually see death occur. You know, we see people blow up. Moral combat's coming out this week. And yeah, we're which see, means like, that your choices have consequences regardless of you being there. Or not. Well, well. Also, I think it's a bit more powerful when the game takes that atypical approach. Um, like as you mentioned, like Walking Dead, the the conversational elements are timed, adding to the tension. But I also think that when a character dies off screen, there's not that sense of closure to it. And, and that's a really interesting uh, approach and, and a really smart approach to the game. The other thing, you I was know, gonna... the first time the first time that that actually happened to me, yeah. I thought that the other guy had killed him. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of thought so too. I was like, oh. you. Yeah, I, my eye on you. <laughs> like, I make sure you're not alone with it anybody. It was kind of sure. scary, but that's one of the reasons that motivated me to try again and try to get to that same kind of part so I could Which actually go really... along and see if I could save him. But then I will go back, and and, and someone else died. So. It's, which is really interesting about the game because you don't, you know, if they had flushed out all the flushed out all the characters uh, from the very beginning, and you know all the details, you'd say, "Oh no, there's no way yes. this guy's a homicidal psychopath." But you have that little He's shadow not, of a doubt. Stop talking like that about Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> I he said schizophrenic. 
which is completely different, right? Um, yes. Anyway, oh, uh, the one thing I want to talk about was the uh, aesthetic of the game. They used this cubist oh, oh, um, yes. kind of yes. abstract um, motif, which really works well um, because the environment, you're on this island full of everything from jaguars, boars, kittens, um, all kinds of things there. Um, now, one small issue, um, well, a couple of small issues. One, I had a character... Uh, she lost a limb, and then she proceeded to do something that showed the use of her arm, which is kind of interesting. So maybe she grew a new one. Maybe it was you, you know, maybe it was twigs. Snowflake that you actually grew a limb. I, okay, so then another time, and I don't know what happened here. Um, I was <laughs> down to one character. I know you're going to laugh at me. I killed off everybody. Okay, so the screen went black. It was just me and a kitten, and the screen went black. And then when I moved the stick, and, and the game does have controller support, I could hear walking, and that was it. And it was black. You know, and, and I, you know what I tried to do? I tried to walk. Started falling asleep when you were playing. No, no, I was wide awake, <laughs> and I moved it. I saw, okay, this is like a puzzle, and so I started moving it. Like I held it for sixty seconds to the right because I'm like, I'm going that way. You know, I, I'm gonna go west. I'm sure of it. I and don't know nothing where I'm going, but I'm going that way. Yeah, nothing <laughs> happened. I thought, I thought, okay, this now it's getting real artistic. Now, you know, it's night. I don't know where I'm going. I can't see anything. <laughs> Even when I reset my game, backtrack, and went back, it still did the same thing. So I assume, I can only assume that I was in the afterworld. I was in, I was in hell. And this is the intersection of art and gaming, <laughs> I think. At least I, I'm. I'm not going to research. anything like that, though. I'm not going to research to find that it was a bug. I'd rather be happy knowing that uh, that was my own explanation for what happened. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, one of the things that I got to take away from this game is that if I were ever in a situation like that, I would be the worst leader ever. It's like yeah, I lost the camp. I got is. everyone injured. Uh, I lost the food. Then everybody dies. It's like oh god, I just. It, it, it is kind of a piss in the Cheerios kind of game. <laughs> that wow, shows, that's a colorful expression right It shows there. how inept you are. But I, but I almost think of all, you can't go right in it, you know? So so it's kind of a, I guess, the opposite of a yeah, feel-good game. Know, after I got to finish it the first time, I became a right. bit much more aware of my choices. And I actually got to spend more time trying to get to know the characters. Because I did how many realize lives? at some point that... The first time that I did finish, it was only two of us. It was me and George. It was my first. That was my first game. Wow. And then I tried, and I got only three people with me. I've, I keep trying to at least get four or something, but I don't think that's even possible. And the thing is that there are so many different turns. Mm -hmm. Like I even got one game that I could last at least like sixty-two days in the island. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting all the options and all the yeah. alternatives that you've got. Uh, the achievements are so much fun. On the sixty-third day, you died. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but I don't want to spoil. But it's really interesting the fact that you have so many choices and you have so many options within the same choices that you have made, and the fact that. There's also so many achievements I still want to go back. in these scenarios. I do, I do. I want to go back and look for cannibalism. I want that. I want but that dialogue tree. You seriously, what's wrong with you? Donner party. <laughs> I don't even know what's, what's up with you today. On Oregon Trail, but had they resulted to cannibalism, <laughs> maybe things would have went right, that, all I'm saying. Oh, dear. But, you know, the game is great, and, <laughs> and you just can't go wrong with this course. It's a game that we strongly Unless you're playing it. And then everything goes wrong. But that's the way it's intended to, to be, right? As your fail-sauce choice is, right. I don't know what to tell you. I cannot believe you just killed everybody. There's actually an achievement for that, that you, you're yep. the only one rescued. Yep. More for me. That's my motto. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Speaking of, yeah, speaking of more for me, let's talk a little bit about Pixel Story. So one of the things I've always championed is video game history. And uh, there were probably are a few coffee table-like books uh, on the industry's past, but most of them are rather dry, uh, fairly sterile. And a pixel story is interesting because it attempts to show progress through a character's quest um, where you grow from a pixel, you, you are the ball in Pong, to you move across four distinct eras of puzzle platforming. I love that intro, by the way. Did you? It was, it was so simplistic and it was so unexpected because it's just a game happening. Mm -hmm. didn't start with the menu. It's just a game happening and then all of a sudden the ball just goes away, just disrupts from the screen right. and starts crashing out in all the places. And then it just become 
the, the tiny little thing that you are. I mean, yeah. from the ball, you just become like a little tiny pixely character. Kind of like, kind of like Raymond, because his arms, yes, his appendages. Yes, in fact, yes. Yeah, yeah. Had no arms and everything, so he had. Yeah, it was really cute. And then and you get a from cape. there, you get. Of course. Yeah. Capes are cool. I'm wearing one uh, now. From there on, you just get to develop a little bit. You get to meet Search, which is your like assistant mm-hmm. through the whole story and all that. And he starts introducing you to the world, to what's happening. I personally enjoy the story a lot. I think it was really clever. The whole parody, the the whole sign. I do think it just brought a lot of funny situations, at least at the, at the beginning of the game, and so crowded of pop culture references. Yes. Yeah, and, and the humor was good because it took away a little bit of the anger that was cultivated. So <laughs> let, me, let me talk about that. So, so your character travels through the world. There are no enemies, right? And you think, oh, it's just going to be a pushover with no enemies. No, they are filled with the sneakiest environmental traps. Little yes. springs will launch you into spikes most of the time. Um, so, so an early encounter had me had me grabbing this giant apple for a farm worker so he could turn it into, uh, I don't know, like mash, you know, some kind of alcohol there. Um, yeah, it, it was an alcohol thing. Yeah, it managed to take least 10 different attempts. And this is something that's 15, 20 minutes into the game. Um, so it is difficult. Um, now, well, one of the things... Well, because the yes. thing is that it, it requires skills, like you actually have to jump and pull leverages and stuff like that, and you have to do it timed. I know how to I jump. I think the timed part is right. the one that killed me. I was like, oh my god, I suck at this. Yeah. And I actually had flashbacks when I tried to play like old games like that, and I could just, finally I can't jump or anything. So mm-hmm. this game really requires a lot of concentration for you to actually get through some of them, because the solution is pretty simple. It's just... Yeah, yeah. You, you can figure out what you what you're supposed to do, but actually getting to that place is a little tricky. Yes. Now, if that's not enough for you, and I and I know for probably some listeners that that may not be enough, they are. If you are seeking the quintessential test, there are these oh, things called God. challenge rooms, yes, which are uh, you know for for the masochists the out there. Doors from hell. Yes, those you can you <laughs> earn access by collecting coins scattered around each environment. But even the coins, even Collecting the coins and getting to the Very doors difficult. is tricky, right? Uh, the developers have this st- uh, sadistic streak, and they like to put <laughs> coins on like the edge of somewhere that's going to kill you. And so you grab that one coin, I died you die. so yes. many times. It's but, just, it doesn't even matter anymore. Yes, the the good point is when you die, there are checkpoints, uh, a plenty. There's checkpoints all over the place, so you're yeah, dying just not, a lot. Just not inside the the challenge. Oh no! Well, that, that, that is a fuck you, fuck you mode right there. There's no checkpoints in the challenge room. So um, once you grab that that big apple, that magic fruit, um, you'll earn your red hat, and that really expands the pixel stories puzzling options. There, uh, you press X on the controller, you take off your hat, the hat stays put, you walk away, you can roam freely, and then a second press instantly kind of teleports you back to your hat. You so, learn to catch it. Was really cute that. Yes, yes, and so that plays into all the puzzles that Lamplight Studio uh, has, and they really, really use this mechanic to maximum effect. Uh, before you know it, they use it in jumping puzzles. So, Oof, yeah, those are yeah. the most, most difficult yeah, ones. The, the, you actually had to leave your hat up there, so wait to the platforms and stuff like yes, that. Yes, that's a little mean. <laughs> so <laughs> you'll you'll need a, a little bit of brains and a lot of uh, razor sharp reflexes no, to get patience. past those and patience. Yeah, patience galore. Patience. Of it's, it, two cents. I mean, yes. at first when you actually get to see it, you're just like, oh, sure, I can jump that. No, you can't. And you actually right. have to, you know, at least a minute to to understand what what the hell is going on and how far can you go and and all the tricks and stuff. And it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yes. A tiny bit difficult, but it's so much fun. It's got this great British humor as well. So. God, yes, I love it. Yeah. And, and I really like the animation, just the, especially just the sprite animation, the little... One thing that you can actually uh, realize when you're playing the game is that everything visually starts really simple. It's really colorful and, and it's really pixely and stuff. And as you get to progress through the levels, I think there's a total of six, you get to see how the artwork, how the details of the scenario and everything starts shaping up much more beautifully. It's like it, you actually do get to explore all the areas that way. And the music, too. The music evolves as well. It's cool. Yeah, okay. it's really fun. Fun can also be had in Terratech. <laughs> so a little bit about Terratech. I, I didn't invest too much time, probably about three hours. Uh, Terratech... Yeah, just three hours. Just, yeah. just, just three hours, one afternoon. Uh, so Terratech <laughs> is a cousin to Besiege. And by that, I mean... They just give you a number of parts, Lego style, until you have at it. So you start the game... What's the name that you use here today? Sandboxy? 
Sand, sandboxy, sandboxy. Kind of game. Um, yeah, so so basically, they don't tell you much, and that's not a. They don't tell you anything. They just drop you in the game, and I don't think that that's a criticism. That's a good thing. So what happens is you start with a cab, which is not like a taxi cab, but the the front part of your vehicle, and you get a few blocks. You get a some wheels and a uh, pew pew laser little. BB shooter on top that doesn't really do much of anything. And then then you learn how to put it together and they send you on your merry way. Uh, One of the first things you'll encounter is a healing station and these have green auras and you can drive through. And if you do come into contact with an enemy, those will kind of repair uh, your your parts. Now combat is is inevitable. Uh, You cruise around a little bit more through these minimalistic environments and you're going to come across uh, some marauders Mad Max style. So there's going to be some cars now now if you if you are able to shoot them enough times their vehicle just falls into pieces and you are able to grab those pieces and so add wait. it onto you yes so wait uh you get to just build and destroy there's no maintenance in this whole situation there's <laughs> no, no there's no maintenance why would you want to maintain things that, that's too much like real life <laughs> there's no car wax there's no <laughs> <laughs> oh, i gotta check the oil <laughs> About the tire pressure? No, it's all about shooting, destroying those kind of you know fun things. But I mean, you, when you build something and <laughs> yes. it gets, <laughs> you're such an ass <laughs> You have to build something, and something gets destroyed or gets damaged. I mean, right. how is it? Oh well, well you you can do you know. Um, so what happens is <laughs> you're such you, an when, <laughs> when someone shoots at you, like all your shit just falls off, right? Your wheels start falling <laughs> off, your guns, like, everything goes everywhere, and you, you yes, can't shoot straight. Today. Anymore. The pew pew, the thingy. Right, right. Pew pew is everything. Um, <laughs> remember the time we talked about a, a game that needed more pew pew? Uh, oh, so, don't remind me, please. Yes, I'm having flashbacks now. Yes, we got in a little trouble. Uh, so, no, so when you get shot at, things just start oh, falling okay. apart. And then you start freaking out because you can't move. You're like a turtle. Okay. You're on your back. And but so, how exactly do you make the money to build things? Oh, so you? then you grab you grab your pieces, just destroy everything. You put them back on, and then you go. You know, if you, if you can also go to a healing station, and uh, that will help you as well. Upgrades and anything. So yes. you, well, upgrades are completely up to you. You can build, you know, whatever kind of monstrosity as long as it as long as it moves, uh, as long as it shoots. As long as it moves, <laughs> yes, but no maintenance. <laughs> How's your oil? Pre- how's your tire pressure? Um, so, so then the, there's resource collection. So you can go and you can shoot at wildlife if you, if you so desire. <laughs> Turn that into currency, and that currency can be used for new blocks. Um, now, one of the things that the developers have done, or at least showed, uh, which which is really cool, is the possibilities. They're adding new blocks all the time. Mm, sounds good. Early access deal. Yes. So you have some more games to talk about. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I played Hell Yeah. That was a fun game. Yeah? Little yeah, Rabbit. Sega. Yeah, it actually was. <laughs> well, there are so many games I would love to talk about. It's just that we don't really have all the time in the world to do that. But for now, I would like to share some recommendations. First, um, Team 2-Bit, the developers of Fist Puncture, they have finally made available their very first game on um, Android and uh, iOS. The name is Washington's Wig. The game is finally available. It was like the very first game they ever did. Um, Sorry, I have a question. I'm scared. How much maintenance is in the game? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> the game is actually pretty cool. It, it features uh, different kind of dogs and different kind of stuff in there. It's, it's, it's some simple game and simple technique kind of thing to go through. But um, it's free and it's fun and I would recommend you to actually get it. For yeah. you, it's got dogs and wigs, and it should be just good enough. Okay. Dogs and I wigs. know, and I can tell you that it's been puppy approved. Apparently, for some reason, every single time I get to play it, uh, one of my one of my puppies gets just mesmerized with the freaking thing. Mm-hmm. Just won't stop staring at it. Another game to check out. Uh, Hyper Hippo has released Adventure Capitalist in Steam. This is a very this is a known game. I actually got started in Congregate, uh, I think it was about last year. Uh, kind of like an idle game thing. Um, you buy, you sell, you build an empire, you're a capitalist. So if you've got no idea what I'm talking about, just you know, go ahead and, and check on Steam and, and make some pixely money. How well did you do at capitalism? Another, what? How well did you do at capitalism? Did you make a lot of money? 
<laughs> I understood something completely different. Whoa, okay. <laughs> I was like, why is he asking me about religion? <laughs> yeah. Well, that does tie into money. I need more coffee. Um, um, no, the game is really addictive. It's yeah. really good. I got to play it on Congregate when it first came out, and now I get to play it on Steam, and it's, it's really good. Because you get to you get to understand a little bit of the basics, like you know you need to produce, and then you just need to buy, and then you just need to invest, and you have upgrades. You eventually, once you get to with all the upgrades and achievements and stuff, you actually get to choose um, uh, angel investors and stuff like that. So it's a lot of different details that keeps the mm-hmm. game interesting. There are differences from the game from Congregate. In Congregate, there used to be limited amount of things, and um, on Steam, you have more achievements, and you have they're about to release different things that you can buy. Like I think there's com- there's one coming for space and stuff like that. Like I don't know, maybe you can buy the moon. And uh, there's a lot of different things that wait, wait. Here and there that you can. You can buy. buy the moon. I don't know. I haven't seen any information on the include on, on, on this uh, new things mm. that you can buy. But they say like coming soon, and this, there's a little guy on on space. So I'm really looking forward to that. I want to buy the moon now. You should play the game. I've been telling you for like two weeks to. <laughs> Well, all you got to tell me is you can buy the moon in the game. I'm there. Another game that I want to talk about is, first I want to present uh, Cloud Pop Games. This is a Rainbow Wii one-man studio. He's a very talented developer with a great eye for design. He recently uh, released a game called Layers. Mm-hmm. It's a fast-paced, color matchmaking game that you can download for free right now as well. We will just we'll try to put all this information in the show notes for you too. With all this money I'm saving, I can buy the moon. <laughs> all these free games. Now, you know, Adventure Capitalist is really good. And last but not least, another introduction that I want to make. It's, um, there's a new indie studio called Massive Monster. This new indie studio is with the talent of... One of our favorite teams, Megadev, they're new and they're in a new indie team now. They're working together with James Armstrong and Jimp. These are very well-known names in the, with developers. You may remember Megadev as the developers of Super House of the Ninjas and Atomic Gringo. Jay is uh, someone that is known for uh, developing Beer Variants and Super Adventure Pulse. And Jimp, well, Jimp has done like 100,000 games as well. He's also known for like Elephant Quest. And the one that I'm going to talk about today, Sushi Cat Games. Mm-hmm. The new game that they've got out, or among the few games that they've got to launch the studio with, is something called Sushi Catapult. And Sushi Catapults come from the Sushi... <laughs> what language are you speaking? Spanish. <laughs> Sushi Cat franchise. Oh, the original game came out about, I think it was like five years ago? I'm, I'm not sure, about five years ago. And it was originally designed as a pachinko game oh i'm sure you know what that is yes i i had my eye on a probably a 10 year old pachinko machine it was like 300 dollars. yeah so i was thinking about buying it couldn't get over that price tag maybe i should talk to him down i don't know maybe i'll get a real pachinko or maybe i'll just play this is the moment when we talk about what the hell pachinko is because not everybody is as knowledgeable as you sensei so Pachinko is a game where you have these little uh, steel orbs that are a little bit bigger than a BB, and then you kind of fire those, and there's all these little pins, and it goes and it bounces off there, and it makes a bunch of noise, and at the very bottom... <laughs> oh, wait. I'm just describing Peggle. The world knows what Peggle <laughs> no, is. No. It's like Peggle, except you, you can't fail. really aim. No, no, no. Just think of a Pachinko game, kind of yeah. like a vertical pinball machine without flippers. So well, yeah. Basically, or, you or just rely on gravity... Right. What? Or Peggle. You you don't have flippers. I mean, it's just something that drops down. No, you don't have flippers in Peggle either. You just, it just falls. Well, there are some scenarios that they do have flippers on Peggle. The Krabby one? They do? I've played Peggle. I'm a Peggle noob. (laughs) I don't get get past the yarn. You rely on (laughs) gravity and limited amount of, uh, in this this case, cats, for, you know, let them fall down and collect all the sushi on your way down. Now, this new game from the Sushi Cat franchise is uh, Sushi Catapult. It's a new game that you actually get to just launch the cat from a catapult in, you know, with the velocity that you collect in in this push, you you get to collect all the sushi in between. Kind of like Burrito Bison kind of thing. The franchise um, keeps the original idea, of course, but I think the I mean, the cat collecting the sushi and all that stuff. But I think one of the things that needs to be said about this is that the game is incredibly beautiful. I mean, the aesthetics improvement 
are gorgeous. The, of course, there's a lot of different levels and there's a lot of default, you know, different um, items you get to collect, you know, in order to get like bonuses and, and speed and all this kind of stuff. And of course, I mean, um, one thing that needs to be said is like it's so much fun. It seems kind of simple, but it's just a time sink, that kind of game. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of things and a lot of details to keep you entertained. The game is free, it's also available in Armor Games, and you can go ahead and check them out anytime. I have got to say that Jim is um, the, the, the artsy half of the original team from Sushi Cat, and this guy is so crazy talented. I cannot wait until I can get to see more from uh, Massive Monster. Yes, so, sounds cool. Yeah. Pachinko, yeah. cat, sushi, what's not to love? I know, right? This is probably like our best or our worst in the Outlook ever. <laughs> I'll look at it. <laughs> Hopefully not the latter. Well, I'm always trying to share cool indie games because we don't really have much time to do on the show. So if you want to know more games, want to, to see all the things that don't really come to the show, you can actually follow me on Twitter at S-A-Y-O-M-G-W-T-F. And if you would like to keep up with the consumer advocate, Senpai here, uh, he's always sharing whenever there's anything on sale and Beer poop. You can't follow him. <laughs> Wait, consumer advocate. How did I? How did I get that title? What did I do to deserve that? I know the bird poop story, but well, you're always sharing when anything is on sale. I don't even know how you have time to do that. Like anything that's on sale, <laughs> you're like <laughs> you're always talking about things on sale. So I'm always retweeting that for people to actually, you know, get them and whatnot. So that's one of the benefits of following him, even if he doesn't remember. He does tweet about that, I promise. And you can follow him on tech underscore gaming on Twitter. Hopefully the moon will go on sale soon. Really? Hopefully. I'll, you can I'm, download the game and you can play it. I just want to buy the moon. You're terrible, <laughs> I swear to God. Go kill people it. on this course. That's it for now, guys. How much, Thank you for listening. How much maintenance on the moon? You know what? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Had to. Couldn't resist. Sparko from Cloud Runner Studios. Welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, Nicholas, great, to, great having you on. Now, before we start gushing about unabashedly downbeat strategy RPGs and, and RPGs like Phantom Braves, you know, Gears, uh, CQDM, um, one thing I want to do is get to know a little bit more about you and the Cloud Runner team. So let's start with you. Uh, what was the thing that pushed you into game development? Well, it was it was a pretty big. Uh, kind of decision to go into game development because I was I was actually a physics teacher before uh, I started making uh, games. I've always been a hobbyist and messing around with RPG maker and uh, you know obviously being a huge huge gamer. Um, and I was toying around with the idea of you know creating my own kind of full release commercial game. Uh, and I started working on this idea of Melancholy Republic. And uh, I found the idea you know really quite you know, compelling, and, and I really wanted to bring it about. And after I kind of prototyped the game for a while made sure that I could actually make something different and unique. You know, I didn't want to create something, uh, you know, samey or kind of standard RPG maker game. So once I was confident that we could really create something different, uh, I got a small team together, um, decided to, you know, leave my teaching job and start my own company and start with uh, Melancholy Republic, you know, which is this really cool concept that uh, I was hoping people would, you know, really get behind. Now, that was obviously quite a big jump to move from teaching physics into development was there a, a particular game that you could you could pinpoint that was particularly uh, influential in your career choice yeah um actually a really fantastic indie game um that i played quite a while back called to the moon um, mm, yes yeah and uh, uh, to the moon really struck me as, as kind of a similar game to what i've always wanted to make which is i, I, mm-hmm. I quite like story driven games um you know there's always the Two camps of gameplay over story, or story over gameplay. Um, I I like all different types of games, but for me, I've always had a special kind of you know connection with uh, story-based games, and so I've always wanted to bring that uh, kind of story-based game that I could create out. And I think To the Moon was a really fantastic effort. Um, yes, and it, it showed how well 
a story made game with really strong characters can can be made by a really small team actually using um, RPG Maker and they they actually use much more basic levels of map creation than what I wanted to do. Um, but it was a fantastic game and it really you know gave me it really inspired me to be able to. Uh, you know, carry on with Cloud Runner Studios and make our first game. Now, tell me a little bit how Cloud Runner Studios was formed. Um, so, it, once we got the once I got a prototype running, um, I started. I got a few freelancers on to help with some of the art and kind of help with the art, art direction for where I wanted to go with it. Um, then I spoke with uh, two guys from Manchester who are starting this company called Metronomic Studios, and they wanted to get behind a you know a project to really create this uh, fantastic. Kind of soundtrack, you know, to get their name out, um, and so once it, once it became more certain, once we had more members, and we also got a, a girl called Kelly McGuire to help with the writing. Um, obviously, we needed you know a studio name, so uh, we came up with Cloud Runner Studios, and Cloud Runner Studios was just uh, just an idea that I had in my head as a as a really cool name, and um, I think it really captures kind of I don't know like the kind of themes and the types of games that I want to create. You know, these kind of heavenly story. Uh, quite whimsy types of games with really heartfelt stories. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of the type of games that you would like to create, do you see the studio focusing exclusively on Japanese-influenced role-playing games? I think Japanese role-playing games have been such an influence on me. And, um, and you know, even this first game, Melancholy Republic, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not, a, it's not actually a JRPG. But, you know, I have a real love for you know, Final Fantasy and loads of these JRPGs, and and I think it would be a lie to say that any game I make wouldn't be inspired by them. You know, in some way. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, and I think I think with most people now, you know, the games that you play growing up really, I think it changes who you are. I think it makes you the person who you are. Um, so yeah, I think as long as I make any games, it will always be a hint of inspiration from kind of those Japanese uh, games, which kind of inspired me when I was young. So yeah, as long as I'm as long as I'm here, probably. <laughs> Now, now let's get into Melancholy Republic. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the game itself? Okay, sure. Um, so, Melancholy Republic is it's an exploration and story based game, uh, and it revolves around a female character called Claire Lockridge, and uh, she arrives in this giant city state of Lorna, um, and Lorna has gone over like lots of turmoil over the past hundred years uh, with neighboring states and with its own political systems. Um, and she comes. She's actually a noble. She comes from a wealthy family um, from a na- uh, from one of the cities called Dalina, uh, and she comes with these great intentions to end the corruption and a lot of the suffering that she sees across the country. Uh, and it's a story about uh, a bond and a love that she forms with uh, another female character called uh, Princess Marianne, who's nicknamed the Armored Princess. Um, and together they set out to try and change their country uh, for the better. And the game is split up into these different chapters, and uh, each chapter self-contained story. It has uh, its own characters that Claire encounters inside the city, and she learns about them and their story, and they actually affect her and give her the character development, which eventually you know, uh, leads to the decisions that she makes in the story. Uh, the game has things like uh, choices, so in lots of conversations, players can actually make choices for Claire in the conversation, because I've always think uh, a bit of player input in conversations and uh, quests is, is always you know, really fun. Personally, I really like that. Um, as well as that, there's uh, lots of like mini games and exploration around the city. So, a lot of JRPGs. I love. I love exploring cities. I love talking to NPCs and getting those extra quests and finding little cool hidden corners and things like that. So the city is really detailed, really beautiful, and it's all about exploring it and talking to people. And um, you know, when you're done with that, or if you don't want to do that, there's this really compelling, uh, tragic main storyline, uh, which really stands by itself because it's not. A generic JRPG ripoff storyline. It's something really different. I want to create something really different. So it is uh, very much inspired by these kind of gr- uh, great classic tragedies. Now, I think we we agree that the role telling, uh, role playing medium is a perfect tool for storytelling. It allows the cultivation of characters and and relationships over extended periods of time. Now, in your opinion, what are some of the other virtues of the genre? Um, well, the things that you know I think are really fantastic about JRPG games. Uh, outside of just you know having you know these fun characters and fun storylines, is um, I think they can really teach you know, great lessons and for especially for young people and people like myself. I think uh, people of any age. I mean, they, I think JRPG games in particular have a great history with strong female lead characters, for example. Um, sure, I mean some probably not very good image of, of of women, just like any kind of genre of game. But I think uh, they do a lot. You know, Final Fantasy games have 
particularly really strong female leads. Um, they often have great themes of, uh, you know, anti-racist uh, messages, anti-messages uh, against corrupt political systems. And I think they really teach positive messages, you know, and I think that can make you a better person. Um, the main things in games uh, that I love is just going off into this like, fantasy world, this kind of unique, custom-built, lovingly crafted, you know, world that you can escape into. Um, which is something I really want to capture uh, in Melancholy Republic. Yeah. Now, what are some of the ways Melancholy uh, challenges and adheres to role-playing tradition? Um, well, it's, like I said, it's mostly inspired by kind of those uh, Japanese role-playing games. So the main things it takes from it are uh, a really kind of epic plot, kind of large story with uh, politics. Um, but ours takes that, to another level. I think, uh, you know, there's not really been a very much political game in the past, whereas this, you actually play a politician. Um, but definitely the kind of compelling story, lots of a large cast of characters. Um, however, ours deviates from that by not having a classic party, you know, of these characters that you choose from because there's no battle system. Because, uh, you know, it simply wouldn't make sense in, in a kind of storyline that we're trying to do for the story-based game. Um, as well as that, it's most likely the exploration of the town, you know, that, and it's particularly, you know, a lot of feedback I had from uh, people on, you know, showing the Melancholy Republic was, oh, you know, I really love, that's exactly what I love. I love JRPGs when you get to that town and you get to go to talk around to people and explore the place and, you know, really get lost in it. Um, and unfortunately, I think JRPGs, you know, they can tend to, you get to a town, you buy your armor and your sword, and then <laughs> you're out into the field again to three hours of grinding. And, and that's, that's not really a particular thing I really like about them. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, basically takes those few things that I really love about JRPGs um, and it kind of much more fleshed out. Uh, in Melancholy Republic, so just yeah, loads of exploration and um, you know this kind of really great plot um, um, with great cast of characters. Now, aesthetically, uh, Melancholy it, it looks to pay homage to the 1632-bit era, uh, which were g- generally a, a bit more earnest in tone than many of today's games. Uh, is there any truth to that? Um, yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, I think. You know, our game definitely takes you know, inspiration from kind of 16, 32-bit look. It's partially, you know, Final Fantasy IX, kind of Limbledom in there, you know, with uh, the city kind of feel. But also, you know, it's obviously much more sprite-based than that. Um, and, yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of... Uh, there's definitely a different tone in the old JRPGs compared to the modern ones. Uh, and I think ours is definitely trying to capture that more. It's definitely darker. Um, and But I'll, I'll say more so than any other. I mean, the story... Melancholy Republic is, I mean, the, the, name, the, the idea is in the name. It's Melancholy Republic. It is quite um, a sad game. It is a tragedy. Um, and it has lots of sad stories. And, you know, it's really an intention um, of mine to, you know, make people emotionally invested and to, you know, break hearts. You had mentioned RPG Maker. What tools specifically are you using to make the game? Yeah, so um, RPG Maker is, is just the uh, engine we're using to kind of process the story, the menus, and the movement around the maps. The actual game itself isn't built in an RPG Maker, the maps. Um, everything's actually done in Photoshop, and it's multi-layered, different pictures. So very much like kind of old-school games where you have a picture and you move a character around them. Um, so, yeah, so everything we do in, is, is done in Photoshop. Our maps uh, often, quite uh, almost all of them actually, go well over a 1,000 layers so they're quite tremendously large, complex uh, things. And they're all, they're all hand-built with our art assets. Um, all the shadows are brushed in. All the lighting is all uh, brushed in as well. So it's, it takes tremendous effort to do our maps. So that's most of the work is yeah, it's done in um, just uh, picture editing software. And then we bring that in and using some clever scripts, we can layer those pictures to create uh, you know, the kind of backgrounds and foregrounds to create the character moving behind things or in front of things. Now, one last question for you, Nick. Uh, let, let's talk about the Kickstarter campaign where you tried to raise a, a rather meager amount of money. Um, now, that wasn't successful, but in capturing the spirit of role-playing games, you are resiliently bouncing back uh, stronger from the encounter. So what is your plan of action for uh, the second attempt? We did, we, did, we did really well, I think, um, it was it was quite it was quite uh, it's quite hard to get yourself noticed on Kickstarter I think with a tremendous amount of games that come out and there's you know a lot of great games in there and it's it's a shame that so many more can't be fun and get made um, but we did we did particularly well in our run compared to uh, a lot of games that were running at the same kind of period as, period as as us uh, so we raised you know seven and a half thousand uh, pounds so um, 
what I decided to do is I had a talk with the team, and I, you know, I really believe in Melancholy Republic, so I decided that I would personally invest the other half of the funds that we required. So uh, um, it's not an easy decision because uh, it's an expensive decision, but it's you know it's a project I really believe in. And I really think deserves to get made. So uh, I've put in my own money, about half of the funds required, and so we're only going to be seeking half of the funds, and that way we'll have the full uh, amount required to actually make the game in a timely fashion. Um, and yeah, so we hope hopefully this time we can you know meet the success of last time, maybe even do better. Um, and just and really, we just want people to, to to see it. You know, we wanted to give it the right opportunity that it can get. Do you have a time frame? Um, yeah, originally we we're aiming for early 2016. Um, however, because we've been kind of delayed by an extra month of Kickstarter, mm. it might you know we we're looking yeah probably still early 2016, but it might push it to mid 2016 after the Kickstarter. Well, after the Kickstarter, we've done that. We'll do an update. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Nick. Oh no, thanks really so much for having it. me. It's uh, really. Cool.